welcome to this edition of the Gateway Podcast. For more information about our faith community, feel free to visit gatewaychurch.org.nz. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy this message. As I said, this morning we're going to conclude our our three-week look at the huge area of mental health. uh, It's been our aim whilst fully realizing that we won't really even scratch the surface of such an enormous subject that we had to do something that we had to do something about this subject. We didn't want to just have tokenism, we did want to try and tackle it, but to do nothing would have been absolutely wrong in the light of where we are as a, as a community and as a country. That for too long, society and church has been pretty quiet on the subject and looking at and talking about the whole areas of mental health. And probably our primary aim at the beginning of these three weeks was to say it's okay to talk about these areas. It's okay to talk about the fact that I, I'm on meds for anxiety or I struggle with depression or I am actually feeling suicidal. To give folks the permission to say, help me, talk with me about how I feel. That there has to be no place for shame or stigma or guilt that is greatly associated with the whole area of mental health. Week one, uh, for those who, who weren't here, was a very personal perspective when Sue, Sue Powell, shared her story surrounding her husband Pete's suicide. That six years ago, Pete committed suicide, and uh, Sue shared the lead up to that, what happened at the time, and post. And that is on podcast if you would uh, want to go and find it and listen to it. And last week, we looked at it really from, the, from a practice point of view with, with Dawn and Jan, looking at it from a theological, a biblical perspective, and a counselor's point of view. And week three today, we're going to look at this from a, a pastoral point of view, uh, from a very practical pastoral point of view. Jan heads up our pastoral team, uh, Sylvia heads up our, our, our prayer team, so that's the perspective we're going to look at today. Before we come to that in a, mo- in a couple of moments, I just want to draw your attention to something that's come out of the, um, the New Zealand Health Week. And uh, a few weeks ago, I think it was a couple of weeks ago, it was New Zealand Mental Health Week. And, uh, and as a result of that, they have issued a, a well-being channel, uh, challenge, a well-being challenge. Um, somebody made reference to it being on 7 Sharp, but it's also uh, on, on the web. And they were saying that the challenge that came out of the New Zealand uh, uh, Health Week was this. This was five things that they said you needed to do. First of all was be connected. Secondly, they should be coming up a good... Keep learning. Thirdly, take notice. Fourthly, give. And fifthly, be active. Connect, keep learning, take notice, give, and be active. And those were the recommendations for people going forward to try and improve mental health as, uh, as part of a holistic approach. And um, actually, these are really important, but immediately one can see a correlation with the gospel and with what the the Bible teaches us to do, and I'm just gonna run very quickly through this. First of all, get connected. You know, we, we talk about this as a community. The Bible is all about community, our faith community, our family. Whether it be us as Christians or whether it be around rugby or gangs or, or, or our neighborhood, we all need to be connected. Isolation kills. This is a, a, a gospel message. You know, I, I sometimes ask folks, oh, how are you doing? And how are you doing? And they, and they say, well, I'm struggling. I'm not doing really well. You know, I, but I haven't been able to make it to church or my connect group or recently. And you sometimes think, please, 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 get connected. 
please don't take yourself out of community. Well, I'm too busy to get connected. That is, should be a contradiction in terms. Uh, out of this well-being challenge, we, we need to seek out fellowship as Christians, and we'll probably touch upon that in a few moments. Secondly, keep learning. That is so good. Growing in the knowledge of God and growing in the knowledge of who we are ourselves as people. That ability to say, yep, I want to learn. I need to absorb. I need to learn more about God and his perspective of me and, and who I am as a person. A, a, a lady came to me at the end of one of the gatherings last Sunday, and she was so lovely, and she sort of said, you know, I sort of started, um, this is going to be an embarrassment, because I can't remember, did she say she was 60 now? So let me call her in her 50s, because I don't want to embarrass her. But she said, I've suffered with depression since I was 18, and she said, I'm now in my 50s, and I, I still struggle with it, she said, but I'm learning a lot about myself. I know how to, what are the trigger points? I know how to look after myself. I know how to protect myself. And I just think that that's such, a, such good advice. It says thirdly in the, this, this challenge to take notice. You know, the well-being challenge says that we need to look up from our daily scenario and see what's happening around us. We need to be careful that we don't just get consumed in our own world and we forget what's happening around us. You know, uh, Don, this past year, has spoken regularly about the need for us as Christians to see, what we, to see that we are part of a big story, that it's not just about us here, it's not just about us here in New Zealand, that we are part of a big story, not only across the world, but down through the ages, that we are part of a, a group of people from eternity to eternity, and we need to see that big story. Fourthly, to give. Oh, wow. How much could one say about that? How much does the, the Word of God say about giving our lives? It is only when we give our lives away that we find it. It is only when we give them away. It is only when we serve. It is only when we're willing to go beyond ourselves and give our, our lives away. I mean, Jesus came not to be served, but to serve. And I, I'm reading this, this challenge from Mental Health Week, and I'm just thinking, this is so good. This is so good. And then the fourth, about... Be active, you know what I mean? Talking about the, the balanced life that, that, that we're called to live. And I don't think that we should be surprised that the, the principles for mental health, for well-being, are pretty well rooted in, in the Word of God, the giver of life who knows how we tick. So, having said that, let's come to a pastoral perspective. You know, I had a real shock. I've never sat between two ladies before who both of them said, I think I'll run out of stuff to say. Sounds good. <laughs> we'll find out. When I was, uh, actually, ladies, when I was uh, just thinking about this this morning, when I was just thinking, oh, God, help us this morning, where we're we going on this whole thing, I really just felt God say to me, this is going to be quite controversial. This was probably going to be the most controversial of the three. Controversial, not because what we will say will purposefully, well, may upset people, but people will think, gosh, that's my life, that's part of who I am, and that will be controversial to them, so it will stir up controversy in people. So we're coming with that in mind, and uh, it, excuse me, it might be controversial, but uh, we're going to give it a go. So as I said, we're going to come and do it from a pastoral point of view. We, we worked out well, earlier this week that between the three of us, on an average week, we see 60 people between us. And that's not the whole pastoral team, but between the three of us, we see 60 people a week. And we want to talk about what we see, what are patterns that in the whole area of mental health and especially anxiety and depression. 
What we have really uh, focused on is what is called causal effects. Causal effects. And by this I mean frequent issues. Frequent issues we encounter that are related to or lead to anxiety and depression. Let me say that again, causal effects. We're gonna be looking at frequent issues that we encounter that relate to or cause anxiety and depression in folks. So that's what we're gonna be looking at. It's from a pastoral point of view. And I also just wanna throw in the great quote that Don gave us last week from Ravi Zacharias who says, when you put these two together, sin will take you further than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than what you want to pay. So those are the two sort of guiding principles we're gonna look at this morning. So that's enough for me, ladies. Let's talk about the first subject that we wanna look at is that that whole area about the importance of what we feed our minds. But it's it's how important it is what we, we look at, what we read, what we absorb. I read this quote, everyone recognizes our diets directly affect the health and working of our bodies. And whilst we may not eat right 100% of the time, we generally do our best. Why isn't it that we are as careful with our minds as we are with our spiritual health? Who's gonna go first? I think the most scary thing about this is that we actually don't realize what the the repercussions are until down the track. So we can be feeding our minds on things that we think are okay. So watching stuff on the TV, reading things in magazines, watching porn, all that stuff, we think it only affects us, but down the track we realize that it actually has a ripple out effect and affects other people, but also has an effect in our own lives. And in that, the fact that we know sometimes we shouldn't be watching this stuff, still we do it. And gradually that sense of guilt and shame builds up and that's where we see the anxiety come um, that people end up coming to see us about and we have to work through. I think too, just to add to that is um, the whole area of addictions, which which is a huge area um, across the board, but certainly if I think of what we feed our minds, there's very clear research out there as to the addictive nature of social media, as to the addictive nature of porn and gaming and all of that kind of stuff. And so again, that comes into what we feed our minds. Um, Obviously there are other addictions, uh, as in drugs, alcohol, et cetera, and especially huge research regards that area and the fully, or when the brain isn't fully formed. So in particular, teenagers, those less than 18, where marijuana, alcohol, all of that is concerned, has a huge impact on the brain that is still forming. And so those addictions uh, have a massive impact on, uh, further down track for a lot of people in terms of anxiety and depression. Let me, let me push back there, yeah. um, in the sense that we would probably, most of us know that those things we would say are not healthy for us. Yeah. But you know, um, but would it, uh, well, maybe it was just when I was growing up, when I was growing up, the test of um, perhaps your Christian spirituality was you'd had a list of do's and don'ts, you don't do this, you don't do that, and it was, became incredibly religious. Do you think it would be really fair to say that what we feed our mind is slightly different from person to person? Let me give you, give you an example as you think around that. For me, I can't 
do horror films. I just can't. I just, from a young age, I just had to stay away from them. I can't even see a, a commercial on TV that's got anything at all, it, because I know that it will play on my mind, I know that I will lose sleep, and I just have to stay away from that. Um, I'm not sure that anybody can really watch a lot of horror movies uh, to that extent, but do you think that it's, it's, it's different from person to person, about what we feed? Absolutely. Um, I'm like you, I can't watch things like that, horror movies, murders, things like that the screen has to go off. I know some people that can watch that stuff, really enjoy it, and I'm talking low-level murder mysteries, and it makes no difference to them. I think we've got to be really aware of those things that affect each one of us, um, and something that one person can do, it's no good saying, well, if they can, I can. It doesn't work like that. So, in a way, it's you saying, okay, God, is this okay for me? Um, bringing God into even those sort of things in our lives. It's that whole area of self-awareness, isn't it? Because for me, I'm an avid news watcher, um, probably addicted to it, to be honest. Um, <laughs> I can't not watch the news or read the newspaper and find out what's going on in the world. But I have several friends that, for them, that really infects their sense of well-being that it makes them depressed, and to be honest, I can be a little bit critical of them, because I'm thinking, get a life, guys. You know, you need to know what's going on out there, but the more I understand the way they operate, yeah. the more I realise that actually they are being self-aware, and they're looking after what goes into their mind for them. So, yeah. Do you think, I haven't thought of this, but do you think that having that self-awareness that I don't go there certain places, or somebody else doesn't go to certain places that are not good for them. Do you think that in some ways is what we would call putting on the sort of the armor of God, putting on the helmet of salvation, staying away, being... Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Um, that's, that is exactly right. You're covering your mind in the helmet of um, salvation. What is it? Tell me. Helmet of... Helmet of salvation. Helmet of salvation. That's what sitting up here does for you. Um, You're in charge of prayer, not theology. <laughs> It's like breastplate of righteousness, you know, doing those things, living that stuff. That is right and right for you. Um, I remember growing up when I was um, in Pentecostal churches, this whole thing about sticking on the armor of God, sorry, but I mean, we were told we had to do it every day. So you would almost stand there and put on the helmet, tie up the belt, um, stand on, and I knew people that did stand on the word of God. Um, but yes, most definitely I do. I think it is tied up with that. Rick Warren, Jan, talks about the whole area of the mind pollution. He, he says it's the biggest challenge mm. that the Christian church faces, or one of the biggest challenges the church faces in the, the rest of this decade and century. Yeah. Would you agree with that? I totally agree. Totally agree. It's a huge area and one that we could actually spend, John, could spend a couple of sermons or 10 sermons on, to be honest. It's massive, and we have to be incredibly careful. You know, it's, 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 what is it, um, Matthew 6 says that the eyes are the entry point. Yep. They're a lamp, and they're so important. And I just, I, I don't know, I, I, just me speaking pastorally, I sometimes think if we're not careful, we just, oh, it won't do us any harm. Mm -hmm. uh, we'll just ride through it, it won't see, do us any harm. And I sometimes think there's an incredible power in stopping or pausing and just choosing to get out of something. Mm -hmm. And it's not as if it's going to drastically change overnight, but if it becomes a habit of a lifetime, I just think it's really important. And just the polluting of our mind, I don't know really where this fits, but I just wanted to put it in because the imagery here is incredibly powerful. What, we, what goes in uh, 
what we do ourselves and what other people feed into our mind is hugely, hugely important. I came across this image that uh, I asked Johnny to put up, and I just thought that was so powerful. Actually, it's quite offensive if you really think about it. It's so in your face. But it's just that what goes in. We have to understand the challenge for what we, the words that we say to people and, and around us, and, uh, and sometimes mm. that is hugely impactful. And sometimes, I, I, I don't know if it's the same with you, but sometimes people have said to me something about me that I've had to go to somebody else and say, is that true, and not receive it? And I think part of the difficulty is that for some people, they can manage different things that other people can't, and that's where we're not saying, hey, you cannot do this, you cannot do that, you cannot do the other thing. That's not what we're here to say today. We're here to say, be aware of what you can do and what you can manage, and be aware of the addictive nature, uh, potentially, of a lot of things that we just, in our society, take for granted today as being absolutely okay. Big point, or big question I'm gonna ask that we all see we all see anxiety and depression, especially in Christians, young and not so young, around the whole area of morality and sexuality. Uh, that is so big. And one of the things that I think that we would say as a, as a pastoral team that when we meet is that um, morality has been redefined. We have redefined morality in the Christian church. Do you want to unpack that a little bit? I think that's so true. Um, I'll just preface it by saying what I'm about to say might shock some, but in actual fact, it is the reality of what we see day by day. Sex in our incredibly sexualized society has gone outside the bounds of what we would normally consider. Um, sexual intercourse is what we would expect and accept as the norm. Now it's stretched out, and for young people, and as Chris said, not so young, oral and anal sex have become the norm. The goalposts have been moved. So you will find particularly a lot of young women who have become involved in this, and they do, and they do because they would tell you that that sex is okay. The Bible doesn't say that sex is not okay. The Bible says that sexual intercourse is not okay outside of marriage. So to get over that, they will indulge in oral and anal sex. Then their relationships will finish. And what happens with a lot of these people, things have been stirred for them, physically stirred, which is normal. Uh, but they have got nothing now to meet those needs. And so what they do is they find themselves stepping into that whole area of masturbation. And so that becomes their way of releasing their sexual need. Then we find them coming, coming to see us, maybe, and they are struggling with anxiety. But they are feeling incredible guilt because in their heart of hearts, they know this stuff is wrong, but they still do it. And so they present to us with anxiety. And it is more young women, I think, we've found, than it is young men. So yeah, that's made a huge difference. Yeah, I agree, mainly young women. In fact, I was thinking this morning, just reflecting, and the first person, a, a beautiful young woman that I saw, it was 20 years ago, because I was still a counselling student at that stage, and I was here on placement. She came with extreme anxiety, and it took a couple of sessions, to be honest, to get below that. 
and she talked about relational difficulties that she was having with her um, then boyfriend, and uh, and then we, and she ended up talking about, oh, we're not having sex. I'm still a virgin. And I'm thinking, oh, well, that's, that's not the problem. And then she said, oh, but we, you know, we're having anal on oral sex. And honestly, I, I wasn't very good at pretending back then, or not very good at kind of not showing what I thought, to you're be honest. Very, you're not very good at pretending now. <laughs> I think I'm getting way better. But my jaw, honestly, and I'm there and thinking, whoop, whoop. I was, I felt unbelievably naive, to be honest. But genuinely, that's what she thought. And, um, and once we really got below that, the anxiety levels that had built in this young woman, as a result of that activity outside of marriage, she believed a lie that wasn't sex for a start, which wasn't helpful. But then from her perspective, the level of anxiety and all she really genuinely wanted was to be loved and to know what true intimacy was and she was not experiencing true intimacy. Mm. And I, I've, I've thought about her so often in that time, but honestly, that particular person is one of so many that we just see regularly at a pastoral level, and mainly young women that really struggle with anxiety as a result. Yeah, I think probably it would be young women, but it's not something that young guys don't struggle with as well. No, they, just feel so. that, they just feel that, that, that whole tension between what they see as satisfaction and then guilt, yeah. and then the anxiety that goes with that, and the whole... Yeah, we have, we have really redefined morality, and it's just, uh, I was just, uh, Don and I were talking about this, and it says in Genesis, when, when Reuben went in and slept with his father's, um, father's hands, hand slave, it says this, he became as uncontrollable waters around his mind and stuff like that. It really does mess with the mind. It, it really does. It becomes those uncontrollable emotions, and so, question about how to move on. About, again, talk about the spiritual damage and the anxiety and the depression that we see that comes out from being involved in the occult. And maybe it would be good if one of you ladies would, maybe Sylvie, you could start with okay. unpacking that in defining what we mean by the occult. Or You have got the occult, you have got witchcraft. I mean, we're looking on the... I was going to say the lower end of the spectrum. I mean, none of it is right, but we're looking down here and we just look horoscopes, fortune telling, clairvoyancy. Then when you know, you're moving along, you've got tarot cards, you've got necromancy, you've got people that actually do step into the occult and get into, um, I guess I would call it pure witchcraft more than anything else, you know, the spells, the hexes, etc. Um, again, society has normalized this stuff. You've got to watch stuff on TV, you see what's coming up at the movies, even the billboards down the town. And it's like there, there's an inverted commas evilness about some of the things that are portrayed, the images that people see. It opens up a door that leads people to be quite honest into nothing more than oppression and torment, confusion, and ultimately, normally, depression. Where you find witchcraft and the occult, you will usually find depression. But, please hear me, that is not saying that everyone that 
is depressed has been into witchcraft. That's not what I'm saying. But when people get into witchcraft and the occult, the path is such that there is a heaviness, there is a spiritual oppression that often man it manifests itself in depression. Um, and that's probably what we see, I think. Um, I just would like to read you a quote from Grant McMullen, who wrote the book Emotionally Free. He is a medical doctor. He says, I have been absolutely astonished at the number of patients who have had demonic visitations after exposing themselves to pornography, violence, or occult entertainment. I am also finding that the children of these people who did not actually watch the event were also being terrorized by the same spirits that the parents had allowed into the house through entertainment or their behavior that they thought was harmless. It is an area that we can't step into. You know, you put your foot in the water and it will get wet. You'll think to yourself, well, I'll just dabble a toe. We can't dabble in sin. Mm. You say I think too, we kind of, um, we need to differentiate a lot of people, you know, you, you'll talk with them on a pastoral level and they'll say, oh no, 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 I've done nothing in that regard at all. And they're automatically thinking Satanism, uh, but we're, we're going to dabbling in areas of the demonic. Um, and, and our children are finding, you know, they're getting exposed to this stuff at school with Ouija boards and stuff like that. And uh, so again, just it, it's an area that for us um, predisposes people or it can be one of those things a factor, a causal factor for anxiety and depression, and it's at, the, at this end of the scale that we probably see it more than this end of the continuum, but still incredibly damaging. Yeah. I just think for me, the phrases that I always use, and obviously it's an incredibly clinical mm. f phrase, it just messes with people's minds. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know why people get involved with stuff that just messes with their minds. Yeah. It's like, I see the... Uh, I see, is it Monday night on, on 9.30 on NZ1, Lucifer comes on? I have to turn it off. I can't watch it either. I just turn it off because it messes with my mind. Yet here is someone who's the arch enemy of the living God. He's got his own TV show. Well, not quite. And I just think that whole area, it makes it acceptable. It makes it, yeah. John, we, talking about the spiritual damage that some of these things can, can do, you mentioned a little bit earlier on about drugs and porn, and maybe you want to go back to that in the social media, but how about things like um, trauma and abuse? Just, just take a few moments to speak to that. When we prepared for this, I guess the thing that I'm so conscious of is the fact that there are so many causal factors. So last week we did cover a couple of things like burnout and isolation. So if you're wanting to know a little bit more about that, then go to the podcast, please. But we're also aware that we're not going to get to cover everything today, so if you've, please don't feel offended in any way if we don't cover something that for you is, is incredibly important and uh, because there's no intention for that. Our intention is to open up a conversation and to discuss a lot of these things. So. I guess, yeah, burnout and isolation, and something I didn't talk about last week in terms of isolation is that depression in the elderly is now absolutely going through the roof. And I think a lot of that is because of isolation and not having sufficient healthy relationships around them through no fault of their own. 
but again, it's, it's, it's a huge factor. Uh, grief and loss, you know, we talked last week about complicated grief, where you've got grief on grief on grief. But, you know, loss, grief, it's, we're human, and we all have deep losses in our life, and all suffer terrible griefs. But to be honest, for some people, um, they affect more than others, depending on, at some level, predisposing factors and personality. But my experience is that for a lot of people, if that grief isn't processed or worked through, um, again, the number eight wire mentality, let's push it down, push it down, push it down. Um, you know, she'll be right, I can do this. To be honest, a lot of us need to process this with somebody else. Uh, so unprocessed grief is huge. Um, loneliness, goodness me, loneliness is such a factor in our society, it's different from isolation. But again, you know, I'll be truly honest, I don't know what loneliness is. But for those who do, it is heartbreaking, and I just hear people talk about their loneliness, and it breaks my heart. And loneliness within marriage as oh, well. Oh, loneliness in marriage, it's I think, huge. is harder. Yeah. As a single person, if you're lonely, you kind of get it. But loneliness within marriage is incredibly um, well, huge. We, we come across it a lot, and it's, it's heartbreaking for people. Stress. Uh, stress is something that at some level we can't avoid in our society. It's becoming probably more and more of an issue. Uh, but again, um, they talk about less stress, less black dog. We talked about black dog last week. Less stress, less black dog. Uh, I think things like, um, there's a couple of other issues. Well, obviously, trauma. Yeah, talk um, about trauma and, and abuse especially. Yeah, undealt with trauma. Is, and often when we think trauma, we're thinking uh, abuse issues in a person's background, the number of people that come to us with depression and anxiety. And when you ask about history, the number of times that childhood sexual abuse in particular comes through is, is again, heartbreaking. Um, it's not just sexual abuse. There's obviously neglect and other forms of abuse uh, and mainly in childhood, where a child hasn't had the opportunity to, they don't know what to do with it, so they just store it. And uh, our body doesn't like us to store these things, and so eventually it comes out in other ways. Uh, obviously. Can I just, okay. Can I just no. push back? Just, I'm not push back, but um, maybe this is just me being a little bit grumpy here. Sometimes I. Sometimes I think that we though, can use some of these terms like I'm stressed and we just bandy them about mm. with, with abandonment. And uh, yeah. sometimes folks, some guys or folks would come to me and say, this is, maybe I'm just being grumpy, but um, they say, oh, they're really stressed. And I think, no, you're not stressed. You've done a hard day's work, which you should have. You need to go home and get some food and get some sleep. Yeah, that's and normal start stress. A, and you'll start again in the morning <laughs> and, you've, and, you'll be, and you'll have a good day and you'll yeah. go home tired. You yep. need some food and you need to go to bed. And that's what yep. we are made to do. And that's not stress. So help this person here on some of these issues, Jan, please. That's absolutely not stress. I mean, that's, that's normal part of living. We all have stress and at some level it's good for us. It yep. keeps us operating well. 
and um, highly functioning. But when I'm talking stress, I'm talking where, again, it's getting out of control, where somebody is, um, and again, that I guess can relate to the burnout thing we talked about last week, but working 24 seven, uh, and a lot of people are doing that. I read an article um, in the medical profession recently with, uh, with doctors and all of that. I mean, you know, the, the hours that are required of them are incredible. The hours that people work now are so much more than they used to. Some people can manage it, others can't. But if you've got other stress ores going along with working to such a, a high degree, and you've got family stressors, you've got financial stress, you've got you know, the sandwich generation where we're looking after our grandchildren and our parents at the same time. There's huge stress factors in that. So, so many stressors in our society now that probably are, I guess, are more obvious than they used to be, mm -hmm. are becoming bigger. And if you've got stress on stress on stress, then that's when it can really start to blow up. So you're right, you know, we all have stress, that's okay, and most of us can manage it. But when it gets out of control or way too many stressors, then that can definitely lead to our body saying, yeah. I had enough. Add anything you want to add there, or say? You lost yeah. your words, Sylvia? <laughs> that's unusual, eh? Let's, um, let's just keep going in that then. Talk about, um, I know you feel pretty strongly around the whole areas. Oh, yeah, around the whole area, areas of, say, eating disorders and yeah. some of those and, and the stress that, that that brings, but also what we see with people coming to us. So again, um, and I think it kind of relates across to the trauma area of things as well, but uh, this Research shows that um, there's a close relationship between uh, eating disorders and anxiety in particular. Um, eating you, sorry, you s yeah. don't forget to talk about, well, I found this really fascinating, Control. but self-harming. Yeah, and, and I'll bring self-harm up in a minute. Uh, I haven't finished about eating disorders yet. I just, I, I've, got a, I've, got a, I've got a short memory span. If I have an idea, it comes into my mind, it gets lonely yeah, and leaves. He forgets, exactly. Okay, that's right. <laughs> Um, at some level, yes, yeah, so, so a strong relationship usually between an eating disorder and, and anxiety. And if I think people kind of can't get their head around what on earth is an eating disorder about. And, and often, and again, I have a degree in simplicity and or keeping it simple as best I can. And an eating disorder is often about control. When life is out of control, and unfortunately, again, in our society, life for so many of us gets out of control, then what you can control is what you take into your body. Um, sadly, very quickly, that switches. And where we were controlling what we eat, it soon controls you. So again, um, hugely related to anxiety in particular and depression. Um, Self-harm, uh, again, a very close relationship with anxiety in particular and with depression. And self-harm is, well, funnily enough, 20 years ago, I would have thought, okay, mm. self-harm is related to extreme trauma 
But now, let's be honest, it's becoming trendy. Go onto YouTube and you'll find out how to do it and what to do, and that's what our kids are doing. But when it comes to self-harm, what is it about? It's normally about being or feeling incredibly overwhelmed. Life is too, too much and a huge amount of internal pain. And to ex what happens with self-harm is that we, whatever we do, and I won't describe what we do, but whatever happens, we externalize the pain. So when we hurt ourselves physically, that is allowing that internal pain to be externalized. And people get relief, weirdly enough, mm. from self-harm. Again, it's a huge issue that we deal with, a huge issue that our kids and teenagers in particular are battling with constantly, or a lot of them, or their friends are, and it's good for us to understand what it's about. It's also good for us to understand that it relates in many ways to anxiety and, and or depression, and dealing with anxiety mm. and or depression yeah, can help with working with eating disorders and self-harm and those kind of things. In the few minutes we, we got left as, as we sort mm. of wrap this up, I, I want us to talk about what we would talk again about a holistic approach to um, approaching anxiety and, and depression, and we've broken that down into the spiritual, physical, and emotional, yep. and very much holistic in the sense of, this, as we talked about this continuum last week, it's just like, you don't just stick with meds, there's a whole lot of stuff, meds are incredibly useful and powerful, and don't go straight to the demonic in that sense. So we, we want to talk about this holistic approach, as I said, and the spiritual, physical, and emotional. Do you know, have, your thoughts around the whole spiritual approach to these areas? I mean, obviously, people ask, does the word of God, does reading the scripture come in and have a place in the healing journey? My answer to that is obviously yes, but, and I need to emphasize this, when people are struggling with an anxiety and depression, it's a continuum. So you've got mild anxiety down here, as you track up here, people that have anxiety and depression actually can't read, full stop. They lose concentration, whether it's the Bible or anything else. And so there is no way that you can say to them, you should be reading the Word of God. Now, do mm. I challenge people sometimes and say, how are you going in that area? Absolutely I do. But if they tell me they're struggling, that's okay. I think for us, we really need to push the Word of God into ourselves while we're in a good place. Because none of us know at any particular time when we may not be able to read, like some people that are struggling with depression and anxiety. So then, if we've got it in here, sometimes Holy Spirit can cause that to come out. So yeah, it does have a place. But if people can't read, I don't actually tell them to read. I don't say go home and read two chapters a day. It's like, that's okay. For now, it's okay. I don't normally say for now, but it is for now because there will come a point in time, hopefully when they have got themselves a little bit farther down the healing journey, that they will be able to pick it up again. And it's the same with prayer, to be quite honest. 
Does it have a place in our healing journey? Yeah, of course it does. But people that find themselves in a state of depression and moving down this end of the spectrum find it impossible to pray. Mm. I mean, some of us would go, oh my goodness, you should always pray. They can't. They absolutely can't. That's when we need the body. That's when we need people to gather around us and to pray for us. You know, whether it's upholding us in our day-to-day lives or whatever it is, but it's for others sometimes to shoulder um, the weight and the burden of what these down here that are sick, what they can't do. Um, That's why we need connection. That comes back to the whole absolutely, connection. Absolutely. We can't do it on our own. We need people who can do it for us. Absolutely. And that's so important, particularly, um, obviously, you, you want family connection. Some people don't have family connection. And in a place, in a family like this, we need to make sure that we are connecting and connecting well. Can I talk a little bit about prayer ministry? Yeah, yeah. carry on. So people say, well, can prayer ministry help in this regard? And the answer to that is, yes, it can. I'm just going to tell you a really short story of somebody that came and wanted prayer because every day they would reach a certain point in that day when their anxiety would start to build. And it went through to the time they went to bed and it affected their sleep. They came and we talked. And a few years previous, they had received some really bad news that turned their lives upside down. And so the question was, what time did you receive that news? And it's like, it was the time that now, every day, they began to get anxious. We prayed. God came. And from that day forth, they've never had anxiety. There was no demonic entity there. There was nothing but what I will call an emotional wound. And so, yeah, prayer ministry can help. But also, too, sometimes prayer can help. We never stop praying. If anybody comes for prayer, I never send them away unless we've prayed. But sometimes we can't pray in death because they need other things. They need counselling or they need to go and see a psychologist or something like that. So prayer is part of a multifaceted solution. Sorry, just one thing that Sylvia helped me with. Those were maybe six weeks ago, eight weeks ago. Those of you who were here, was it a Sunday morning? I, I was unwell. I was five minutes into speaking and I went unwell. I went really hot and I just mentioned to Dawn that I wasn't feeling well, and I had a, drink, a glass of water, and, and I carried on, and uh, all was fine. It did something to me. It pierced something, and um, I wasn't—I I suppose it was—I I wasn't anxious. But the next, I was speaking the following week, and man, I was feeling, "Oh, is this going to happen again? Is this going to happen again?" It was sort of started to play on my mind. And if you were here, but the next week went went fine. But I'm just thought, I'm not going to take that because there was a, an anxiety. I don't even want to say the anxiety, but there was the thought there. Was it going to happen again? Would it happen again? Would I be unwell? I, went, I said to Sylvia, can I book in some time to pray with you? And she sat down with me and she prayed and we prayed it through and we just did some prayer stuff on it. And it's never crossed my mind ever since. It was very practical. Was it demonic? I don't think so at all. It was just something happened in me that caused me, I could have been anxious about. Sorry. Chris just said, was it demonic? No. 
And I think sometimes we have to realize that um, not everything is demonic. Okay, deliverance isn't needed in every situation, setting, and circumstance. We should never, never forget that we have an enemy, but we can't be looking for him around every corner and in every circumstance, because quite honestly, it's not the demonic sometimes, it's purely and simply a wound, maybe, or whatever. But yeah, there's a place for deliverance, but deliverance is never our focus. What we want to do is our focus is to get light in and not concentrate on getting darkness out. When the light comes in, the darkness has to go. But that's our focus, getting light in. Good, thank you. And I know John talked about last week about the demonic attaching itself or getting in on things, and, and that's absolutely true. We do see that a lot of times where there's a, there's a touch of the demonic there, but it's not the total thing. And once other things are sorted, the demonic's got nowhere to stick, if you like, or to stay. And that's putting, again, very simplistically, but it's true, isn't it? It's lost its hold. It's got nowhere to stay. Yeah, exactly. John, just talk to us briefly about the physical. So yeah, just really quickly, because we're talking spiritual, physical, and emotional. So some of the physical things um, are, are lifestyle choices that can make an incredible difference for people. I mean, I, I know people that give up caffeine, you know, that they're on this end, lower end of the spectrum with, with depression in particular, and giving up caffeine and six weeks later, oh my goodness, the impact for them is remarkable. Um, it, 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 things like, diet like the mind, um, what we put into our body uh, matters and it counts. So we're not talking dieting because Chris and I are allergic to that word, but we're talking about diet, what we put into our, uh, ourselves. Um, exercise, any form of regular exercise. Uh, they talk about fitness um, robs the dog of its power. Again, the black dog. Um, vitamins and minerals, uh, again, related to diet, <coughs> sunlight. Is, is a huge impact on, on a sense of well-being. So you get what they call SAD disorder, which is seasonal affect disorder. And many people, are, are especially in you know, climates such as ours, are hugely impacted by that through winter and get depressed and all that sort of thing. But the minute spring comes, the minute they get some sunlight, some vitamin D, and it, it really shifts some stuff for them. So that's not just emotional, that's, uh, that, that's the impact of um, the sunlight on our skin and, and our cortex, things like that. Um, and, and rest, we talked last week about Sabbath and rest. We're designed to be beings who need to rest. Um, and, and obviously meds, and again, we keep talking about meds with, we don't talk a lot, you know, we, we, in this setting, um, you know, if, if You'd been uh, diagnosed with diabetes, you wouldn't think twice about taking insulin, but for some reason in our society, <gasps> we can't take meds, and obviously, as you know, that's not the way we see things here at Gateway. Okay. So there, there are some very simple, to be honest, physical uh, things or some lifestyle choices that we can make, which help. Emotional, some of those things. Do you want to, do you want to go first? Well, one of them, obviously, is counselling. Sometimes people do need counselling. And we often talk about the fact that counselling will dig around a problem and then prayer pulls it out. It's like digging around a plant and pulling it out. 
people may come for prayer, but you know very well that there's something else going on and they need to talk it through and get counsel. So oftentimes, yeah, counseling is a necessity, you know, and I'd encourage anyone not to shy away really from that. Pastoral care. Mm. And that's not just pastoral care as in pastoral care. That's pastoral care as in pastoral care. We're all in a family here. We all need to be looking after one another. We all need to be supporting one another and encouraging one another. The other thing, of course, is friendships. Um, We need to be connected. Instead of friendship, perhaps I would say relationship. But we need to be connected. That's one of the reasons why we have our connect groups here, is the fact that you can begin to do life with people in a smaller group in a smaller setting. But relationships are really important. Some people find it really difficult, uh, and that's okay. But I'd encourage you to keep plugging in to try and find one or two people that you can relate well to. So that if things get tough, you can put up your hand and say, hey, I'm struggling here. Can you pray for me, or can you come around and visit me? And sometimes that's all it needs. All it needs is a text to somebody, just saying, how are you going today? Whatever, sometimes it's a meal, whatever. But we just need one another, and I think we should never forget that. Hmm. Yeah. Good, would the musicians come and join us, please? You know, there's a lot of stuff that we could have, we could have added. Just ask you one question as we wrap up. How do we take care of the carer? When you find, we always have a lot of focus on the person who suffers with the anxiety, depression, or suicidal. How do we take care of the person who's living with them, looking after them, has to take the brunt of their anger, their anxiety, their depression? How do we, how do, well, we do that? To be honest, the more I've thought about that question, the more I um, realize that in actual fact, what we're asking the depressed or anxious person to do is not really a lot different for the carer, or when I say the carer, or the loved one, or the partner, significant other, the friend, whatever that is, they need to be incredibly careful about being self-aware, looking after themselves, and putting some just some basic things in place at a physical, emotional, and spiritual level to give them the strength. Because, you know, a lot of people, um, again, we've had the question asked this week, haven't we? You know, what do I do? My, the person I love um, is in denial about anxiety or depression. The person I love won't get any help. What do I do? And you can't make anyone get any help. You can drag them to the doctor or the GP. You can drag them along to get some pastoral care or some counsel, but that doesn't mean that they will take meds. You can't make them do that particularly. And so the reality is um, we, we are hugely aware that when we're speaking today, we're not just talking to the person who's struggling with anxiety or depression. We're talking to many who love those who love those with anxiety, depression, and they do not know what to do. So we're saying, ask for help as well. Please, just ask for help for yourself. Do you you want to close? I think the one thing that we need to remember, and 
hold on to is the fact that Jesus is our hope. He's our redeemer. He's our saviour. He's our rescuer. He's everything that we need. And I'm going to use a phrase that Jan used last week and that we often use pastorally is that we hold people until God comes. Now, we want him to come now. Of course we do. We want to see miracles. We want to snap the fingers and see those that are struggling in every area, but in this area, set free and healed. Of course we do. And we will continue to pray and we will continue to keep knocking on the door and we will continue to seek until we see the fullness of what Jesus died on the cross for. And in a way, I think of that as a great big gift wrapped in brightly colored paper with big ribbons on. But it's out here and at the moment we can't get to it. We can still contend for it and pray for it. But you know, when we turn around and look in the other corner of the room, there are also gifts. Those gifts are probably wrapped in brown paper and tied with string. And they're not exactly what we wanted, but if we unwrap them, we will find the other gifts that he has given us. The counsellors, the psychologists, the mental health professionals, the medications, they're all gifts from him. And you might say, well, that doctor, that psychologist is not a Christian. But you know, God created all of us, righteous and unrighteous alike. And when we bring him into everything, we have to believe that he is there in the midst. And so we use those gifts at the moment. We take hold of them in their fullness because they are what is there. But we continue to contend and pray and seek and knock for the entrance to that other gift. We wait patiently, as patiently as we can. And we hope and we trust in him because there is no one else. He is our ultimate healer. He is our savior and he is our king. And he loves us and he wants the very best for us. And why don't we see what we wish we could see? I don't know. But all I know is that as best I can, I just have to rest and trust in him. Thanks for listening. We hope it was an encouragement to you. Again, check out gatewaychurch.org.nz to find out what's going on within our church.